And you're back with the Encounter with God here on Faith FM. And as we move on with today's show, we have uh, our next clue for the quiz coming up. What have you got for us there, Lawson? Yes, we do. Again, this is a What Am I quiz. And we've already given away two clues so far, which was uh, on his way to sacrifice his son. Abraham carried this um, and a knife while Isaac carried the wood. Okay, so think about this for a moment. You're going to a sacrifice. Uh-huh. What are the necessary ingredients for a sacrifice? Okay. We've listed the wood. Yeah. Um, what other ingredients are there? And, of course, this was the sacrifice of Abraham's son, Isaac. Yeah. Which didn't end up happening. <laughs> Spoiler. That's right. Spoiler. That's right. Um, God stepped in and was like, hey, nope. Like, and then God provided and a God ram. provided the sacrifice. God provided the sacrifice um, there on the spot. So 1-800-324-843 is the number if you know the answer. That should give it away right there. No, but we still have more clues. Okay, I haven't even told the clue yet, right, man. Right, I was right, building yeah, yeah. up. Um, uh-huh. and our, but our next clue was, the, the clue that we told last time was number 11. Numbers 11 tells us how uh, people who complained were killed by this. So we know, we know that so far. Mm-hmm. And now James says... That the tongue is like this. Mm-hmm. 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 So you've already been given two clues of what books and what chapters yep. to look in. Come on, um, guys. So give us on. a call, 1-800-324-843, or text us at 0491-064-669, and we will get a prize to you. We will indeed. All right, so we are in the book of Acts and working our way through this amazing story. Paul is uh, on trial with, uh, well, a a kind of a trial with Festus and Agrippa. Mm -hmm. It's kind of like a um, a demonstration trial, so to speak. They've they've, uh, asked this very famous preacher to come in and preach for them. I want to hear what he has to say. Okay, so Paul has been standing there. Paul has shared his testimony. There are some added details to his testimony that we find that we don't find in the other accounts where he shares his testimony, Mm. uh, particularly in his appeal that he makes to Festus as being a a, a Gentile person um, to reach out to him. And then, of course, we go on and uh, let's, um, Acts 26, let's pick up the story. Acts 26 and why don't you read for us verse 24 there, please, Lawson. Suddenly, Festus shouted, Paul, you are insane. Too much study has made you crazy. Okay, so let's think about this from Festus' perspective for a moment. Uh-huh. He has made this statement based on the fact that Paul has spoken of the resurrection. Mm-hmm. So Paul has come along and said there is life after death, and that life after death comes about as a result of the resurrection. Mm-hmm. Now, what nationality was Festus? Where was Festus from? Festus was a Roman. Festus, and what gods did the Romans serve? Uh, the Roman gods, the no, pagan gods. Ser- oh, they, they served the Greek, the Greek gods. The right. Greek gods. Because yes. the Romans were very unimaginative. They didn't have their own gods. Well, they had Janus, but yeah, from which we get Janitor. Um, did you know that? It's kind of cool, isn't it? Um, but he wasn't a huge god. But mostly they just served Greek gods. Mm-hmm. Okay, did the Greek gods believe in life after death? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Sure. So what is so hard, why is it so hard for Festus to accept the concept of the resurrection? Okay, here's where the problem comes in. The Greeks did not believe in the resurrection. They believed in the immortality of the soul. Mm -hmm. Now, the immortality of the soul and the resurrection are two doctrines that are mutually exclusive from each other. Mm -hmm. You can't have both. 
And so by believing in the immortality of the soul, then, of course, when Paul comes along and says, oh, there's a resurrection, he's like, well, that's impossible. Yeah. Because if when you die, you don't actually die, you keep living in another form, well, then how do you come back to life if you are still alive? Yeah. Yeah. You know, the, the whole concept of the immortality of the soul rules out the resurrection. I've been to mm-hmm. so many funerals where people, it's just so confusing because one minute they're saying the person's in heaven, the next minute they're saying they're going to be resurrected. And all is like, well, you can't be resurrected if you're already in heaven. Are you on earth waiting for the resurrection or are you in heaven already alive? Which one is it? Make up your mind here. Yeah. I mean, this is just, this is so confusing. Mm. And everybody sits there and goes, oh, yeah, 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 that's how it is. It's like, I'm thinking, what is the point of having a resurrection if you haven't died? Mm. And isn't isn't it like a terrible thing as well? Like, think about the story where where Jesus resurrects Lazarus, mm-hmm. and la- you know, if you if you think about it from that perspective, you know, Jesus constantly says oh, know, be, uh, he's be, asleep, he's be, asleep, that's right, he's yeah. asleep, uh-huh. he's he's dead, he's asleep that's in right. the grave, he's in the ground, and he'll be resurrected at the he will be raised again at the resurrection of the last day. Yeah, that's the statement that is made in that story in the clearest possible language. That is the comfort that is given to Martha. Yeah, but it's incredible because people people like seem to think, oh, you know, like how terrible would it be if you're Lazarus, right? Mm-hmm. And because you're incredibly sick too, you were like suffering super hard, and then you die and you go to heaven and you're like, you know, immortality of the soul. You're up there in heaven chilling out with God because um, you've been a faithful man and everything's good. And then Jesus just pulls you out of there and brings you back down to earth, and it's just yeah, yeah. like, and this is where Jesus <laughs> is about to be crucified. This is where like the worst things that this world has ever ever seen are about to take place and happen yeah and he just pulls you down and he's like oh yeah sorry dude i just had to like show my power to these guys like it's so i i feel like it's just so ridiculous to think that to to why didn't jesus come to martha before he resurrected lazarus and say hey your brother's in a better place right now he's in heaven he's you know he's he's another angel up there god wanted to have another angel so he took your brother you know no it's constantly it's he's asleep he's asleep and he will be raised in the resurrection Mm. at the last day Mm. you know Here's a, here's a thought. If Lazarus had gone to heaven, right, uh-huh. and obviously the first thing you're going to do when you get to heaven is meet God. Yeah. That's that's the whole purpose. Uh-huh. Let's say that Lazarus had been in heaven. Uh-huh. Jesus is about to be crucified. Uh-huh. Do you think that God would have just sort of like, oh, yeah, I'm not going to tell him about that? Now, the whole of heaven knows what's about to happen. Mm-hmm. All of the angels, everyone that's in heaven knows that Jesus is about to be crucified. They know why, and they know that he's about to be resurrected three days later. Why doesn't Lazarus turn back up again? Why do you have Lazarus chilling out at the bottom of the cross like, it's like, hey, guys, ch- calm down, chill out, you know, it's all good. He'll be back here again in three days' time. Why isn't Lazarus gathered with the disciples in the upper room? And why isn't he telling the story? Okay, when I was in heaven, the angel said, you know, this is what was going to happen and he was going to be crucified and he'll be back again today. We've just got to wait for a little bit, you know, just wait. He's going to just appear in the rooms here sooner or later. Mm. You know, where was Lazarus? He didn't have any of these stories to tell because he hadn't been in heaven. He'd been in the grave, the Bible he was, says. He was dead. The Bible is so clear on this. You cannot have both the immortality and the soul, of the soul and the resurrection. You have to choose one or the other. And, of course, for Festus, he believed in the immortality of the soul. And because he believed in the immortality of the soul, the concept of the resurrection was impossible. Mm-hmm. And, therefore, to him, it was insanity. Mm-hmm. Not so to Agrippa. Yeah, because he is uh, he belongs to the Jewish religion. He has the Bible. He understands what the Bible says. He understands the concept of the resurrection. He's read in the Bible about resurrections that have taken place in the past. Mm-hmm. 
So this is not something that is so challenging for Agrippa as it is for Festus, who serves Greek gods. Okay, so let's continue. Actually, while we're there, I'm just going to show you this passage. It's over in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 23. So this is 1 Corinthians. Let me flick over there real quick. 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 23. Intense, intense page flicking. Yep. It's getting over and that. And here Paul says this, but we preach Christ crucified <clears throat> unto mm-hmm. the Jews a stumbling block, but to the Greeks foolishness. Yeah, Why was it foolishness to the Greeks to preach Christ crucified? Well, it's not hard to preach that somebody's crucified. That's not so unbelievable. That happens all the time. That's a regular occurrence. We get that. The thing that made it foolishness was the resurrection. Mm-hmm. Why would the resurrection be hard for them for, for a Greek person to comprehend? What you know, the, the Greeks believed in the supernatural. Mm-hmm. The Greeks believed in life after death. There was nothing challenging here for the Greeks except that they believed in the immortality of the soul. Mm. The only way that this verse makes any sense whatsoever at all is if you realize that the Greeks believed in the immortality of the soul. And you wonder, you know, where did the doctrine of the immortality of the soul come into Christianity? Mm. Well, it came into Christianity long after the time of Jesus and the apostles, and it came in from Greek religion. Yeah, Greek religion invaded Christianity. Uh, Christianity absorbed it. Um, in fact, the pagan priests made it a special um, intentional effort to take their religion and to implant it within Christianity because they recognized that their religion was about to vanish off the face of the earth and that if they did not do something to preserve their religion, in other words, change its form, then their religion would be gone. And of course, the pagan religions of the past still exist within Christianity right down to this day. You're listening to Faith FM, positively different radio. Okay, so let's flick back over to Acts chapter 26. And Lawson, if you can pick up the story for us in uh, verse 25, please. Yeah. Um, But Paul replied, I am not insane, most excellent Festus. What I am saying to you is the sober truth. And King Agrippa knows about these things. I speak boldly, for I am sure these events are familiar to him, for they were not done in a corner. King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? Okay, stop right there for a moment. Stop right there. All right. Before he makes his appeal to Agrippa, notice what what it is that is actually... uh, um, taking place at this particular point, you've got um, Festus, who is who. He's the new kid on the block. Mm-hmm. You've got Agrippa, who has been there for generations. His family has been ruling for generations. What Paul is saying to Festus sounds fantastic. It sounds unbelievable. You know that Jesus was died and that he rose again. For Agrippa, he knows that Jesus died. Mm-hmm. He knows that there is an empty tomb. Yeah. He knows that there is no reasonable, logical explanation for that empty tomb. He knows that tomb was guarded by a hundred soldiers. He knows that the Jewish leaders claim that the tomb is empty. He knows that the Christians claim that the, that the tomb is empty. Everybody is united on the fact that the tomb is empty. And that the only actual reasonable explanation for that is the resurrection of Jesus. Mm-hmm. He, he knows the history of this. And so Paul turns to him and he's like, okay, you know the history of this. Um. What are you going to do about it? Okay, so keep reading. Agrippa interrupted him. Do you think you can persuade me to become a Christian so quickly? 
Yes, in in fact, in uh, my translation, it says it a little bit differently. Acts chapter twenty six, and verse twenty eight. Verse twenty eight. Then Agrippa said to Paul, "Almost you persuade me to become a Christian." He was nearly there. Mm. He was so close. Yeah, and he lost it. You know, Paul says. Paul says to him, "Do you believe in the prophets?" Yeah. Now, as a Jew, what's he going to do? He has to say yes. He has to say yes. The moment he says yes, Paul then can go through every single prophecy of the Messiah that there is. And mm. Agrippa knows this. You know, mm. He's been around long enough that he knows that Jesus fulfilled over 300 prophecies of the Old Testament mm. uh, about the Messiah. And he knows yeah. that Paul can just stand there and he can start going through all 300 of these prophecies. Mm. And what's he going to do? He now has two options. He can say, no, I don't believe in the prophets. Therefore, I don't believe in Jesus Christ. He can say, yes, I do believe in the prophets. And if on the basis of that, and then Paul goes through all of those prophecies, he says, I don't believe in Jesus Christ, then he's going to look like an absolute moron. Yeah. An absolute idiot. So he's caught between a rock and a hard place here. From a political perspective, he's caught between a rock and a hard place. Mm. He can't say, no, I don't believe in the prophets, because then the Jews are all going to be upset with him. Mm -hmm. If he says, yes, I do believe in the prophets, well, why don't you believe in Jesus Christ? Every single name for me. You know, name for me a messianic prophecy that does not point to Jesus, that was not fulfilled in the life of Jesus. Paul can Paul yeah. can stand there and say this. Paul can say, you know, go to your theologians, find one anywhere in the scriptures yeah. that does not point to Jesus Christ. And they will not be able to find one. And because they will not be able to find one, then you know, it, it, the evidence is so overwhelming that Jesus is the Messiah that he'll be he'll be made a fool. So yeah. he, either he's going to be a traitor to his nation or a fool to everyone who's looking on. Paul has asked a very, very smart question here. Notice what Paul didn't say. Mm. Paul didn't say, uh, Agrippa, why don't you give your life to Jesus Christ? Paul says, do you believe in the prophets? Mm. This is a master lawyer yeah. making a powerful appeal. Um, and, and there's definitely something to learn from from this and the only thing that Agrippa can come up with is almost, mm. almost you have persuaded me to be uh, a Christian. Yeah. He came so close and he missed out. But yeah, let's continue on in verse 29. Uh, the Bible says, Paul replied, whether quickly or not, I pray to God that both you and everyone here in this audience might become the same as I am, except for these chains. Then the king, uh, the governor, Beniki, and all the others stood and left as they went out and they talked it over and agreed, this man hasn't done anything to deserve death or imprisonment. And Agrippa Agrippa said to Festus he could have been set free if he hadn't appealed to Caesar. Okay, so they've got to write up this report to Caesar. You know, this report has to accompany Paul. They have to be able to... um um, you know, they have to be able to justify why it is that they are sending him to Caesar. And uh, um, and, and so, um, you know, they've, they've got to put this whole thing together. Festus doesn't really have a good reason to send him. He's hoping that Grippa can give him, you know, some some better reasons. But Agrippa turns around and is like, well, you know, I, there, there's, there's, there's really no reason here. We could set this guy free except that he's appealed to Caesar. Yeah. You know, there's, there's nothing here that he should, you know, he's been locked up for the last two years. Um, on false charges. This should have all been thrown out of court a mm-hmm. long time ago. 
and uh, yeah, he uh, they, he really should be set free at this particular time. Yeah, which shows that um, you know this was a, a tremendously uh, corrupt system. It mm-hmm. was incredibly um, unjust that Paul was facing right here. But Paul really didn't have anything to fear because Paul had been told by God that he was going to witness for him in Rome. Mm-hmm. He knew he was going to Rome. Yeah. He knew he wasn't going to be killed before that event. Um, he had he had total uh, confidence in it. And it's, it's, it's interesting also that at this particular point, Paul could have made an appeal to be set free. Yeah. He, you know, he, he has stated his case before Festus, before Agrippa, and before Felix. And he could have said, okay, guys, this is how it is. I've answered my case three times now. Mm. Tertullus has been here. Felix has heard my case. Festus has heard my case. Agrippa has heard my case. Nobody has been able to find me guilty of anything. Mm-hmm. Um, now is the time to set me free. We, we don't have to take this to Caesar. If you send it to Caesar, it's just going to make you look foolish because what are you going to write in your report? <laughs> you know, you're just going to look like fools, like wasting Caesar's time. Why did this guy send me to Caesar? Mm. Paul is in the prime position to do so, but he does not do so. Why do you think he doesn't? Because he appreciates a free ride. That's, that's one way of putting it. Yeah. <laughs> he has a free ride to Rome yeah. because he is going to see Caesar mm-hmm. and he's going to be able to witness in the court of Caesar um, for Jesus Christ. And we find that when Paul does go to Rome and he does witness there in the court that there are members of Caesar's court who do give their lives to Jesus Christ and do become Christians. And Christianity has a, has a major and a very powerful effect you know, right in the headquarters of the Roman Empire. And the Roman Empire was considered to be, you know, it was considered to be Babylon. It was considered to mm. be Satan's empire at this particular time. It was um, a place that, uh, you, you know, basically this was, this was Satan's representative government on earth. Yeah. And God is like, you know what? Right there at the seat of your government, Satan, I'm going to send Rome. I'm going, to, I'm going to send Paul to Rome. He's going to be in chains, but that's not going to hold him back. He's going to be sharing the gospel right there. And there would have been just, you know, we see the ripple effect from that. You know, by the time um, Constantine comes around in the third century, we've got one in 10 people in the empire who are Christian. You know, it was the first multicultural, um, you know, border crossing religion of its time. And there would That's have right. been so many people who would have been saved and gave their heart to Jesus um, because of the work that Paul did in the in the courtrooms of uh, of Rome in front of Caesar. So it's it's just incredible the way that the way that God orchestrates these things, you know, to use like and, and the effect that that just, you know, Paul, like he's a single he's a single man for sure. It, it all stands stems back from you know, the one single man, Jesus, mm-hmm. the greatest man. Um, but it's just a testimony of the way, you know, Paul was like us. Paul Paul is just, you know, he's just another guy, but the, the effect that he could have in the world. Um, through the power of the Holy yeah, Spirit. Through the through pa- him. Yeah. He was it's just amazing. a little, a little uh, partly blind guy who was just, had made himself available for the working of the Holy Spirit. Yeah. It's um it's incredible. I think it's a massive inspiration for for a lot of people out there. I think it's you know especially myself, you know, working in ministry and you know in working a job where we're where we're constantly um going and reaching out to people um to to tell them about Jesus to to help them you know 
go from a place of, you know, non-belief to belief um, and, and sharing the good news with them. And, you know, to see that, that Paul was able to, you know, plant the seed that persuaded one in 10 people of the world's greatest empire to become Christian. Um, it's like, man, what can, what can God do through me? And the question is, uh, the answer is <laughs> obviously a, a lot of things, but we'll continue talking about this after our next song, uh, the Leuven Brothers with Almost Persuaded. Almost persuaded now to believe. Almost persuaded Christ to. Agrippa came so close. 
he was almost there. Mm. He was almost persuaded to become a Christian. What a powerful good he could have done. He could have been if he had given his life to Jesus Christ. Mm. You know, particularly when you consider his family history and, and, and how his family had warred against Jesus and failed and failed and failed over and over again. If he had turned around, he could have been another Paul. He mm. could have been a household name today, somebody whose works were read you know, on a daily basis around the world by millions of people. We could have been studying one of his books right now amongst, you know, in our 20 million movement. As, you know, we joined 20 million other people who are studying the same passage of the book of Acts today. That could have been Agrippa. Mm. And, and what an amazing story it would have been, you know, like Nebuchadnezzar sharing his personal testimony in, in Daniel chapter 4. But he didn't. He came so close and he turned away. If you are close to giving your life to Jesus Christ right now, don't turn away. Mm. Do it this moment. Get on your knees. Make that surrender to Jesus. Because this was Agrippa's last appeal. You might sit there and think, you know, I've got tomorrow to give my life to Jesus. I've got next year to give your life to Jesus. I've got 20 years from now I'll give my life to Jesus. You have no idea whether you'll be here in five minutes' time or not. Mm. Life is uncertain. We don't know the future. Agrippa never had another opportunity to give his life to Jesus. This Mm. was the last appeal that was made to him. He came close and he turned aside. Don't make the same mistake that Agrippa made. Mm. There's a great great, uh, passage here that I'd like to read read from you. This comes from uh, a Bible commentary. It says, did the mind of Agrippa at these words revert to the past history of his family and their fruitless efforts against him whom Paul was preaching? Did he think of his great-grandfather Herod and the massacre of the innocent children of Bethlehem, of his great-uncle Antipas and the murder of John the Baptist, of his own father Agrippa I and the martyrdom of the Apostle James? Did he see in the disasters which speedily befell these kings an evidence of the displeasure of God in consequence of their crimes against his servants? Did the pomp and display of that day remind Agrippa of the time when his own father, a monarch more powerful than he, stood in the same city attired in glittering robes while the people shouted that he was a god? Had he forgotten how even before the admiring shouts had died away, Vengeance, swift and terrible, had befallen the vainglorious king. Something of all this flitted across Agrippa's memory, but his vanity was flattered by the brilliant scene before him, and pride and self-importance banished all nobler thoughts. It would have been incredibly humbling for him to sit there on the throne that day, surrounded by pomp and power, and to get down on his knees and to give his life to Jesus Christ. Mm. That would be challenging. That would be hard. And if you're in a situation like that now where you look at it and you say, you know what, I know this is right. I know what it's what I need to do. And then Satan throws up in front of you, well, it's going to be hard because of this. It might be embarrassing. It's going to take you know, humility. You don't want to humble yourself and you'll lose respect or whatever it might be. Don't do it. Mm. Don't, don't, don't let that stop you. Get down on your knees right now regardless of what is happening. If you're driving in your car right now, just pull over to the side of the road. Give your life to Jesus Christ. If you're with friends who would be, you know, who you where you feel you you would be embarrassed by their presence if you if you stopped and gave your life to Jesus Christ right now, don't be embarrassed. Mm. This will be the greatest testimony you'll ever have to share. 
And your decision to give your life to Jesus right now might mean that they give their life to Jesus as well. You know, you think about your options at this particular point. You can do nothing, in which case you will have no effect on your friends whatsoever at all. You'll be the same person they've always known. Yeah. You can do something, you will become a different person. Mm. You'll be changed. You'll become a, a, a better person as a result of that. And your friends will see that and they will know it. They may respond. They may not, but at least you've given them a chance. You've given them an opportunity. You know, why let, why let pride or fear of lack of respect or fear of you know, whatever kind of foolish fear it might be stop you from making the greatest decision of your life to give your life to Jesus right now? Hmm. You know, think of, think of Agrippa II here as he's, as he's sitting on his throne and just sitting there under incredibly deep conviction. If you feel the voice of the Holy Spirit speaking to you right now, that's God. Because I can't, it's impossible for me to change you or to convert you. It's impossible for Lawson to change you or convert you. If you are feeling that deep conviction at this moment, is not coming from me, is not coming from Lawson. That's God speaking to you. You are hearing the voice of God at this moment. What are you going to do about it? I would encourage you to respond to Jesus Christ at this time. If you're if you're unsure of how to do so, then give us a call here. You know what our number is, 1-800-324-843. Give us a text on 0491-064-669 or contact us via any of our social medias because we would love to have the opportunity to help you make this decision mm. if you are feeling a little unsure. Just just give us a call right now. I'll, I'll personally take the phone call. If you if you call right now, <clears throat> I'm just going to hand this microphone over to Lawson <laughs> and say, Lawson, the rest of the show is yours. I'm going to go and talk to this person mm. because that's how seriously we take this right here. Yeah. Um, either that or I'll just hand the phone to you, Lawson, and you can talk to them and I'll continue <laughs> on with the show. Yeah. But uh, honestly... This is the this is the greatest and most important decision that any person can ever make mm. and something that you will never regret. I know that for myself, you know, as a young person, um, 15 years old, uh, world turned upside down by a whole bunch of different events, living, you know, out in the bush in an abandoned apple picker's hut, um, basically homeless. Mm. And... Um, you know, it was there, it was at that time that by the light of a kerosene lantern and open fire sitting on the bench seat of an ex-wife Falcon, that was my living room suite, mm-hmm. I began to read my Bible for the first time and I gave my life to Jesus Christ. And my life has never been the same since. Mm. You know, I, I lived I lived there for five years in that in that, um, that, that apple picker's hut. And uh, it, it, was, it wasn't the easiest time of my life. But look at where I am now. Look at the amazing things that God has given me. Look at the adventures that God has given me. Look at the family that God has given me. Mm. You know, look at what I get to do every single day because of my decision to follow Jesus Christ. Lawson, you shared your testimony yesterday. Mm. Just an incredibly powerful testimony. Paul has been sharing his testimony with you as our listener um, over the last couple of days. And this is my testimony. Mm. Jesus came into that apple picker's hut. I was who was I? I'm just like this, this, this random, lonely, lost kid. No idea who I am, where I'm going, what I'm going to do with my life, uh, whether my life is going anywhere or not. 
and Jesus came into my life and Jesus turned my life around and Jesus transformed me and Jesus made me into the person I am today. Has my life been easy all the time? No, Jesus doesn't doesn't give us a a uh, a bed of roses to lie on. Mm. Um, there are some thorns amongst those roses, yeah. but I've got to tell you that if you gave me the choice between living that life with Jesus or without Jesus, there's not even a comparison. Yeah. And you'll never know it unless you try it. Mm. I think the most amazing and important and consistent thing between you know Paul's story, my story, your story, and you can ask anyone who's given their life to Jesus Christ, um, is that, you know, like, post that decision you know there, there there's a reason why like why we did it we wouldn't be here we wouldn't be living this life if if you know through the ups and the downs if there wasn't a benefit in fact the bible says faith is the substance of things hoped for the evidence of things not seen faith you know you can see through our faith okay there's actually something here um but right now this is carly fletcher um will you stand Refuse to bow down Like everyone else in the crowd Whether they lived or died They would worship their God And He stood with them through the fire
stand faithfully, boldly for all to see. We will choose God, not man. We will stand. We will stand. We will stand on the living far longer and far happier than most people in the world. And now, their secret's out. Six regions have been identified as blue zones, places where people experience holistic health, and it's doing them a lot of favors. So do yourself a favor and come along to the free Rethink Health workshops, where we will explore six core principles of health and longevity proven through the Blue Zones at the Swansea Center Sunday, October 7, October 14, and October 21st. From 5 p.m. is where you'll find us. For more information, call 0402-528-869 or search for the Rethink Health event on Facebook.
goodness faileth never Good shepherd may I sing your praise Within your house forever Within your house forever Welcome back. That was I Am They, King of Love, here on Faith FM. We have come to the question of the day, but before we answer the question of the day, we have another clue for the quiz, which yes, has not yet been snapped up. So do. tell us all about it there, Lawson. Okay, so again, this is a What Am I quiz, and we've gave away some, some uh, pretty big clues so far, like Numbers 11 tells us that people who complained were killed by this. So there's a reference right there that you can go and look at. But our next clue is... John the Baptist preached that every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and cast into this. Ooh. Ooh. <laughs> what are trees cut down and thrown into? Well, we will see if anyone answers the quiz. You can call us on 1-800-324-843 or you can text in at 491 and you can claim a prize. But before we get to that, what is our question for question of the day? So our question of the day is, where is Jesus now and why hasn't he returned yet? Or not so much where is Jesus, where is, but also what is he doing? Oh, well, this is actually a number of questions. So let me try and answer as much of this as I can in the short space that we have right here. So we'll start in Hebrews chapter 8. And verse 1, the Bible says, now this is the, now of the things which we have spoken, this is the summary. We have a high priest, that's Jesus, who is sitting on the right hand of the throne of the majesty, that's the Father, in heaven. So first of all, if you want to know where Jesus is, the Bible says he is sitting on the right hand of the Father in heaven. Mm-hmm. That's fairly simple. Well, whereabouts are they sitting? The Bible says that Jesus there is a minister of the sanctuary and of the true tabernacle, which the Lord built and not man. So if you want to know where God's throne is, God's throne is in his sanctuary, his tabernacle, his temple. The one here on earth, you know, one of the grandest buildings ever built was just a very, very faint reflection. The Bible describes it as almost being or as being like a shadow of the great original in heaven where God's throne is. Okay, so that's where Jesus is. The Bible says what he is doing there. The Bible says that he is ministering in that temple, in that sanctuary. Well, what does a priest, what does a minister do in the sanctuary? Uh, Very simply, uh, a priest would bring blood into the sanctuary or the flesh of an animal into the sanctuary to symbolize the transference of sin from the sinner to God's sanctuary where Mm -hmm. God could deal with that sin and be gone forever. Jesus goes into that sanctuary. He doesn't bring the blood of a lamb or the flesh of a lamb. He walks in there with his own body, his own blood, with the merits of his own sacrifice that he you know, died for us on Calvary so that he can there minister on our behalf uh, to bring salvation to each one of us. So Jesus right now is in heaven, in the temple in heaven, doing everything that he possibly can to get you there. So that's really good news. Praise yeah. God. Amazing. Yeah. All right. So that was the first part of the question. First two parts of the question. I think the third part was why hasn't he come yet? We've yep. got a minute 50, so let's see what we can do in a short space of time like that. If we go to Second Peter chapter 3 and verse 14, the Bible says, uh, Wherefore, beloved, see, where are we? Verse 12, looking for 
and hastening the coming of the day of God, wherein the heavens being on fire shall be dissolved and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. So the Bible says here that we can actually have an impact on when it is that Jesus returns. Well, how can that happen? If you go to Matthew chapter 24, the Bible gives one of the conditions that must be fulfilled before Jesus can come back. So says Matthew 24 and down in verse 14, the Bible says, And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world for a witness unto all nations, and then the end will come. The Bible is very clear. Mm-hmm. Jesus will not return until every person on this planet has made their decision either for or against him. And the reason for this is obvious. If you go back to uh, where we were in, in, in 2 Peter a minute ago, 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse 9, the Bible says the Lord is not slack concerning his promise. That's the promise of his return. As some men count slackness, he is long-suffering or patient toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Typically what happens is that a person's probation, their opportunity for salvation ends when they die. Mm-hmm. The decision is made when they die. That, that's not going to change after that. When Jesus returns, something different will take place. Probation for most of the people on this planet will end while they are still alive. Mm-hmm. Therefore, every person must make their final decision before Jesus can close probation, bring it all to an end, and return to this earth. You're listening to Faith FM. You're listening to Matt Menicus featuring Clint McCoy, Clint McCoy here uh, with Just As I Am, Sweet Hour of Prayer here on Faith FM. We have come to the end of our show. We're about to give something away. What are we giving away today, Lawson? We are giving away a book called Steps to Christ. 
This is a this is an amazing book. I've I've read this book myself. Um, and man, you know we've been talking a lot in the last couple of days, and especially today about conversion and a decision for Jesus, and, and that 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 sort of you know having that life change. Um, mm-hmm. and you know, like me and Lyle can both attest to what an amazing thing that is. Um, but one of the biggest benefits um, that it's been, I think, for myself especially, has been. Um, you know, there's there's a lot to learn when yes. you when you go from from one life to another, and this book here, Steps to Christ, um, yeah, it's just an incredible book. Um, it's written by a lady named Ellen G. White, and it just goes through like, okay, what are some of the steps? You know, what are some? We of just the- had a, a great 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 grandson here um, for our interview a little bit earlier. Yeah, um, so yeah, why yeah. Not, why, why not give one of her books away? <laughs> yeah, so. Um, Amazing author, one of the most uh, prolific authors of all time. I think the most prolific female author of all time. Yeah. She's been, you know, translated into over, you know. The most translated female author yeah. of all time. It's it's incredible. Um, and this book, you know, I've read it. It's awesome. So what what more can you you need to, to want to get this Yeah, absolutely. Book? If you're wondering, what, you know, what does it actually mean to give your life to Jesus? What was it that Paul experienced? What was it that Lawson and Lyle have experienced? If you're just really wondering about that. And, 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 you know, you've heard the appeal that was made to Agrippa and how Agrippa nearly got there, and you're sort of thinking, you know, maybe I'm close, maybe I need to, This is the book for you. Yeah. Just call cool right now. For sure. 1-800-FAITH-FM is our number. 1-800-324-843 or text us on 0491-064-669. This is an all-time classic that we're giving away today. Don't miss out on today's free offer. It's one of the best we have ever made available.
Sing your 